Good morning, Seacoast. Ah, that's, I like that. Enthusiastic. That's great. Well, it is, it's great to be with you. It's good to have our youth back uh, from camp. Although, you know, my wife and I did have uh, two of our kids gone this week and only one at home, which was kind of like a vacation for us. So um, we are trying to send them to another camp. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it is, it's actually, we, we're excited to have them back, and, and uh, they fell asleep very early. Well, one of them slept on the couch, didn't even leave from there last night. So, uh, but it's, it's fun to see our youth back. You know, we, we started off and, and did honor some uh, children and youth volunteers, but we do want you to know, we know some of you have served as ushers here in the church for, for a long time, probably some of you decades. Some have been leading life groups for 15, 20 years. Some of you have been teaching Sunday morning and leading uh, fellowship groups, and, and we appreciate all that you do and, and a lot that goes into it. So again, thank you for all of you who have served in all... Yeah, you can give them a hand, all of you. Uh, it, it's, we've been talking about the book of Ephesians, and, and, and the title of this whole series that we began back in September is Your Life in the Family of God. And the truth is, it takes all of us to be a part of the family of God. And it's your role, your life. Some it's with our children and youth. Some it's with the more mature people. And others, it's, uh, it might be ushers. It might be tutoring at the schools. It might be working in this community resource center. And it's your life and the family of God. So we're all in it together. Now we were thinking about this. We, we started this series, uh, for those of you who've been with us for a while, we started this back in September. It has been 39 weeks, or for those of you who like it, 6,552 hours since we began our series in the book of Ephesians. Since that time, we've had 15 Republicans and two Democrat candidates drop out of the presidential race. <laughs> when we began this series, Britain was a part of the European Union. <laughs> when we began the series, Kobe Bryant and Peyton Manning were still playing their respective sports and had not yet announced retirement. In this time, Seacoast families have added 10 babies to our nursery. I know, nine months. So, <laughs> your life in the family of God, you know. It's been a long time that we've been studying through this. But we believe again that this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus is a letter that applies to us when he talks about identity, when he talks about God's mission and his role of restoring people to him, when he talks about the role of the church being partnered up together using the gifts that God has given us and creating good works beforehand for us to participate in. It's all relevant to us. When he talks about how we can relate with one another in our everyday lives and how we, that plays out in our Christian lives, we thought this is something worth spending the entire school year talking about. But today we, we end this series, and I know some of you will be sad <laughs> as we end this series. And what we want to do as we conclude this time is we want to move from here as a church asking the question, well, now what? Now that we've been reminded what all the things that Paul has for us as individuals, all that he has for us as a church, and all the plans that God is up to in restoring creation, now what? What, what's next for us? And not what's next for the next sermon series, but what's next for us as a church? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Now, this morning, 
We need to, we're going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians as we get started. And as we get into this, today we're going to finish up. Last week we talked a little bit about the armor of God. We're going to complete that. And then we're going to really focus on the now what? How do we move from here together? So pray with me as we get ready to start. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this year that we've just made it through. Thank you for all the things that we've seen, all the blessings, all the amazing things. God, we um, thank you that you've been faithful, even some of the painful and the chaotic things that have happened in our world. And uh, we ask, Lord, as we conclude this series and just studying one book in the Bible, that it would be a, a series that would remind us of who we need to be as we partner with you in transforming the world. And so, God, would you speak to us in this place, challenge us, challenge me, and let my words be your words for your glory, not any person's glory, but yours. So we thank you for this and give it to you now in your name. Amen. So we'll begin here today in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 6. Now last week, if you were here, we started talking about the armor of God. If you weren't here, we also we still start talking about the armor of God. But if you were here, maybe you, or you heard about it, and we, we used a modern-day example of a, a catcher uh, wearing the catcher's gear. I'm not going to put it on again this week. Um, but uh, So we have it as kind of the imagery of the tools that protect us, and, and the point of the armor of God that Paul was writing is that it's not this kind of specific armor that we're walking around wearing armor as, as Christians, but it's, these are tools that God has given us. And when we remember these things and, and claim these things, it gives us strength to stand firm in our faith. It gives us strength to navigate our ways through the world and through life that poses a lot of challenges. You see, because Paul understood after writing this letter to the people in, in Ephesus that they were going to face some difficult questions, some difficult choices in how they would live following Christ in a world that didn't always support their viewpoint, in a world that sometimes looked at the Christians and said, these people are a little bit radical, these people are a little different, they're extreme, they're kind of crazy following their God. That was the world in which Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians, and it's very much like ours today. And so Paul ended and said, it's going to be difficult, so be prepared with the armor. Be prepared with certain things. And we're going to review just quickly a couple of the things. In verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. And remember, the imagery here is, have all the pieces. Don't just wear one piece of the armor and think it's enough. Have it all together. And he began by saying, you start with truth. And truth was the piece that all the other armor was fitted onto. So as, as followers of Christ, we want to be committed to truth. We want to, uh, to kind of think through the truths of God, knowing that they do not change even when our world tries to change what they are. And that's a difficult thing, but it begins with this foundation of truth. So truth is the thing that secures all of our armor. The next one was righteousness. And that has to do with your right relationship with God. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can have a right relationship with God. We're forgiven for our sins. But also, it, Jesus helps us to have that right living. He transforms what's happened on the inside and it starts to take over on the outside. So the way we live is part of having a righteous a right relationship with God. And he, he compared that to your, your breastplate of righteousness, which protects your heart. The heart is 
the seed of your emotions. It's who you are that spills out through the living day after day. So righteousness, your right relationship with God, protects that part of you, your heart. He went on from there and says, uh, have your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. And it helps you to not slip in a world that wants you to slip. And the gospel of peace begins by understanding the bad news. And the bad news is that there's evil in the world. That because of sin of mankind, that bad things happen. It started at the very beginning. So we know that we live in a world where there's evil. We know that there's a world that, that is challenging to navigate through. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus Christ enters in and provides a way for all of his creation to be redeemed and restored. He will restore that relationship and Jesus is making all things new. That's the good news when we say gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ. And when we understand that, it gives us sure footing. Keeps us from slipping. We can look in a world and say, wow, there's some difficult things that are happening. Things that don't make sense. Things that really seem evil. Yeah, there are. That's the bad news. The good news is that God is not, He didn't desert us. That there's a way for all people to be redeemed and restored. So we talked about that a little bit. And then it all is predicated with the shield of faith. The shield of faith, or last week, the catcher's mitt, is out front. And as the flaming arrows are shot at us, which would be, these are things that are causing us to question our faith or or attacking your relationship with God or attacking this message of peace. The shield of faith ultimately is a thing that is what goes before us. It's the faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. And so sometimes we have to just rely on the assurance that God's promises will come true ultimately and eventually. And there is a point in time in which we have to just have faith. And that's not the easy part, is it? And faith goes before to say, even when things seem chaotic, there's hope. There's hope. Because faith is the assurance of things that are hopeful. And so that's kind of what we looked at last week. And all of those pieces of the armor were tied to, and we looked at the Greek language a little bit, they're tied to our posture as we're standing firm. Now this week, I want to invite you to look here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, actually verse 17, and he changes the grammar here. And the grammar here, he says, and now take up, and this is an imperative command that has been given And it's different than the other ones because the other ones were tied to how you stand. Now these are take up, he says, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now, in Paul's day, as he's writing and talking about Roman soldiers, Roman soldiers had all those pieces of armor, but when you put on the helmet for a Roman soldier, these were these big metal helmets. They were not comfortable to wear, they were hot, They were uncomfortable. They were big and they were heavy. You would only put them on when the battle became very close and personal. They were for when you knew that you were going to be in combat and the battle was now very close. You put the helmet on. The sword of the spirit, the sword, was only used when the battle was was close. So it's interesting that Paul changes the grammar. He changes this to say, now you have to know that some things are going to get very personal. It's not just about standing firm on a hill and being strong army. But there's times when this battle is going to get very close. It's going to touch home in your lives. And he knew for the Ephesian believers that a life following Christ was going to be very difficult. In fact, Paul was writing at the time from a prison cell. 
in jail because of his faith in Jesus. Paul himself saw while he was in Ephesus, a big riot started because too many people were becoming Christians and it was messing up their economy. And those that didn't want the Christians stirred up this chaos. We know that what was coming was under the emperor Nero that there would be a great persecution that would begin of Christians. After him, there's this emperor called Domitian. Domitian demanded the worship of people and said, I am the Lord and God. There's archaeological evidence today of a temple in the city of Ephesus that was a temple to Domitian. When we read through the book of Revelation, you see a lot of imagery that was directly related to worship of Domitian. In fact, sometimes people called him the beast. He knew that what was coming for Christians was difficult choices. The battle would become very personal for them. And for many of them, it would cost them their lives. So he says, take up the helmet of salvation. Now let's look at this a little bit. This idea of salvation is, is a reminder of what Paul has already told us in Ephesians. You are saved by grace through faith. We are saved from our sins because of what Jesus Christ has done. By His grace, salvation is given to you so spiritually you can be protected and you are saved. So salvation on a spiritual sense has been given to you in Christ. The helmet protects you spiritually saying, you know, you, spiritually you cannot die because of what Christ has done for you. But it's interesting that he uses this terminology. He uses it again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8-10. through 10. I want to read it for you. He says this, And take up as the helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's relating to, hey, we have salvation, we have eternal life because of what Jesus Christ has given to us. It's great. He says, so the helmet for us is we're obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Now get this. So that whether we are awake or asleep, another way of saying whether we are alive or dead, (laughs) We will live together with Christ. See, Paul uses this imagery of the helmet of salvation. The helmet was used to protect your vital. If you get struck in the head, you can die. Obviously, it happens as well in the heart. But the head, one vital blow, you're done. One blow, you're done. So protecting the head, he's talking about life. Now notice, though, when you take it in 1 Thessalonians, he's not just talking, in fact, he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about salvation and living a life that really matters. Paul says, whether you are awake or or asleep, whether you are alive or dead, we can live together for Christ. The idea of salvation is, what are you living for? Where are you finding life? You see, when we take up the helmet of salvation, we are defining where we find life in eternal things. Now, this doesn't mean the goal of Christian life is to escape this world and just endure until we're in heaven. In fact, if you read this whole letter, you know the goal of the Christian life is to participate with God in the works that He's laid out for us, using the gifts He's given to you to bring this life to other people, to the rest of creation. We're called to participate with God while we're here. But Paul's reminding us that that's not promised to you. An abundant physical life isn't promised to you. The eternal life is what he's talking about. A life living for things that last beyond this world. That's the salvation he's speaking of. 
Paul himself would later face death and die for his faith. Tradition has it that 11 of the 12 disciples also were killed. uh, Sorry, 10 of the 12 disciples, the original disciples, and then the additional one added after Judas, were killed and martyred for their faith. We know many Christians lost their lives early on because of their faith, their physical lives. They lost their businesses. They lost some of their uh, status in society. But they never lost their salvation, living for things that really mattered. So when Paul talks about take up the helmet of salvation, the battle's going to get close. It's coming in at you. Know that the idea of salvation is, but you're not living for this world. You're living for eternal things. You're living a life that makes a difference beyond this world. So take up that helmet. Moves on here and, and, and says this. Also take up the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Now, he, this is the one that we say is the one offensive tool in the armor, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Spirit of God empowers us using the Word of God. So we use Scripture, and there's an importance here for all of these pieces. We're reminded, if we keep going back to Scripture and understanding what God has for us, that is the one thing that can help us stay strong and actually Fight off some of the battles or attacks that you may face as a Christian. Now, and I I need to say something here too. Remember from the very beginning, we're not talking about a battle against other people. Our battle is against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against the people who don't like Christians in the world. We're not taking a sword out and saying, oh, we'll take you down if you don't believe what we believe. No, the battle is a spiritual one. And these are attacks on our, on our beliefs, on our, our way of life that come not really through, sometimes through other people, but the truth is, it is because the enemies of God want us to be discouraged. So he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Spirit of God will empower you, and he uses the Word of God. We need to be a church who understands the Word of God. One of the reasons we send out five days a week a thing we call the daily encounters with God is so that it helps you, if you need that help, to engage with Scripture daily. We believe as we engage with Scripture, the more we understand what God says, that that is a tool that can help us. So I encourage you that if you use those, and if you don't use those yet, um, sign up for them or open the email. Use those. It's a great tool. It only takes about five or ten minutes a day to get the Word of God sent to you every day. You know, Jesus used, and we don't have time to study the story, but in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, we see that Jesus uses this example of, of the Spirit of God empowering him, but using the Word of God to fight off an attack that was a direct attack from Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I've ever been directly attacked by Satan. I don't really look forward to that. I don't think I need that in my life. Jesus faces Satan himself in, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And each time, Satan tried using temptations of Jesus that you and I face. And Jesus combated it by the word of God. The first temptation he said is, Jesus was fasting. And, and, and Satan said, well, if you are God, the Son of God, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? He was appealing to this nature of, will God re- the Father God really provide for all your needs? It's a question that we all have sometimes, isn't it? God, will you really provide for our needs? That's a tough one. I remember when I was working at a church plant and I was also working uh, in the workforce and, and I started off at $8.50 an hour. I had three kids, <laughs> a mortgage, and I was planting a church. 
It was also a really great time in our, in our nation's economy. It was 2008. And uh, so I just remember that being tempted with, man, I've got to find ways to provide. Now, God doesn't want me to be lazy. He didn't want me to sit around. I, mean, I worked two jobs, and then I would take up extra work when I could get it. And God provided. But it was amazing that there was times when someone would come by with a box of food. And we were so grateful for that box of food. We were so grateful as a family. I think I shared the story once of someone came over once with a whole box of meat. That was all it was. It was frozen meat. And you know, when you're on a budget and you're already, you're losing money every week, you don't get meat. And when you have three boys, that's hard. And vegetables are fine, but I mean, come on. They came over and said, do you guys want this? We have an extra box of meat from the food. And we just thought, oh, Lord, yes, you love us. <laughs> we didn't even care what kind of meat it was. It was awesome. <laughs> See, God provides, but we also in that season had to say, God, are we where you want us right now? That was the bigger question. But it was easy to face the temptation of, will God really take care of us? Will he really do it? That was, faced to, that was presented to Jesus. Oh, come, just make your own bread. He says, man will not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. He combats that. He pulls out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and says, no, I understand scripture a little bit more than that. Even if God doesn't provide my physical needs, I won't bend to that because I believe that God the Father is looking over us. He sees us. He knows what's going on. He's not absent. The next temptation was this. Satan said, hey, throw yourself from this mountain and have the angels catch you. What he was appealing to is, if you really believe this, if you really have faith in your Father, Jesus, throw yourself out, prove yourself, prove the faith that you have that He'll take care of you and your needs. Have you ever faced the attack in your own life feeling like you're worthy of God's call? Often, one of the ways that we get attacked is that question of, you're not a very good Christian. Your faith's not strong enough. How can you really believe in this God? You don't deserve his forgiveness. And we end up striving and working harder and harder trying to earn back his love. That was a temptation given to Jesus. Hey, test God. If you really believe he'll take care of you, throw yourself. Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, it was proven that he's testing, trying to test his faith, his feeling of worthiness. Do I have enough faith? What ultimately was really about testing God's power, not his faith. The old thing is, do you believe that God will save you if you jump out of an airplane without a chute? <laughs> I believe God has the power to do that, but I'm not going to test his power <laughs> with my own stupidity. <laughs> I think God, if I did that, would say like, no, if you're that dumb, you're coming home. <laughs> <laughs> The next one that Satan tempted Jesus with was, hey, look at all the kingdoms of the earth. You can have them if you just bow and worship me. Now, every time I've read this, I thought that that was like, Satan asked for a little too much. I thought that, wait a minute, that temptations, that seems like an easy one to say no to. I think even if Satan came to me and said, you can have all the kingdoms of the world if you worship me, I'd say, like, I don't want all the kingdoms of the world. How about a house on the beach? Oh, well, let's think about that one. <laughs> But he offers them all the kingdoms of the world. So I've always pondered that. Why would that be tempting to Jesus? He knew the story. 
Jesus knew that he was on earth to redeem and restore creation. He knew he would face death on the cross for all mankind. He knew that the world became an evil place. Why would he want all the kingdoms of the earth? Get this. If Jesus was in charge of all the kingdoms of the earth, do you think he could have done away with some of the evil? He probably could have. He probably could have made a lot of things right had he had all the kingdoms of the earth under his authority. But it would have been a temporary fix. And it wouldn't have redeemed us for all time. It wouldn't have saved us from our sins. One of the, the temptations I believe here is, is following God enough for you? Is following God and submitting to His ways and obeying and saying, God, what do you want for my life? Is that going to get you where you want to be? I really think what he was tempting Jesus with was, hey, I know the Father has this plan, but doesn't this plan sound better? Doesn't it sound better? Just worship me and you've got it. It's going to make things better for all the people. Don't you want that? Jesus was faced with the task of trusting God's plan for his life. You know, some of you in here say, it's no problem trusting God's plan for my life. I trust God. But we have those things, don't we, that are harder. God, I trust you with everything except for my finances. God, I trust you with everything but my kids. I'll take care of them. God, I trust you with everything but, but my job. I trust you with everything but my relationships. The question was, what do you worship? What do you trust God for? And Jesus says, I worship the Lord my God alone. Worship him. If, it's a, if, if worshiping God and following his ways lead me somewhere that I don't think is... I, it's not always making sense. Well, I want to be there because if this is in the Father's plan, that's where I want to be. Can we be that as a church? So those are the tools that we have, and I encourage you to study that a little bit more this week and ask, how do you use the Word of God in your own life? Now, I want you to know that these, these, using the Word of God is not, this is not about Sunday school answers, I always call it. Not about the simple solutions to hard questions in life. We do want to process and, and study Scripture and find truths and try find answers, but it's not always easy. There are difficult questions we face. And just saying, have faith in God is not, a, is not the right answer. We need to be people who are intelligently processing through this and asking God, what does this really mean? In Jesus' time, in the time when Paul was writing, they were facing tough questions. One of the questions was, do, how do we honor Caesar, honor our government, yet follow Jesus? That was a question they faced. We never face that. Um, they, were, they were facing, how do we accept those who are outside of Judaism? The first Christians were Jews. and say, what, How do we incorporate people in that maybe their, their lifestyle doesn't match what we think? How does this work? They're dealing with racism. Tough questions for their days. They're deal, dealing with the slavery issue. They knew that God was calling them to, do, to not be participating in slavery and that would affect their economy, affect their, their money. They were dealing with this. They, they believed with Jesus that men and women were created in the image of God and women were valuable people. That was a radical idea in the first century and they were pro the first Christians were the ones to say, well, we value women. We love, uh, we believe who, that they are created in God's image and they have something to offer society. We respect them. We love them the way Christ loves us. That was radical. They were processing through that. The first women's rights movement was Christians. 
They're dealing with questions of sexuality. How do we live our lives with purity before God in a culture that is very promiscuous? The first LGBT question came up in, in first century. Trust me. They processed that. So the word of God doesn't give you simple, simple answers. They're hard. We need to process through them, but we need to not ignore them. We need to do them intelligently and really understand the heart and nature of God. See, when we study Jesus, we find that he taught a radical view of the law. It's a higher call for personal holiness than ever had been seen, yet also a higher commitment to grace than, was, than ever had been known. That was what God was calling these people to. And they, as they engaged in the word of God, they said, this will help us when these battles get close. Now, let's look at verse 18 now. Because all of this is difficult. But look at how he ends this letter. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now notice this here. He says, now what we want to do is pray in the Spirit. We need to be people of prayer. Brothers and sisters, we need you to be praying to be strong in your own faith. We need you to be praying for the people sitting next to you. Praying for the people in your life group. I need you to be praying for me. I need it. First church I worked at, there was a, a gentleman who was in his 80s. And when I was, you know, 20 years old working there, that was a lot farther away. But I loved, he was like a grandfather to me. And he used to say, Ryan, I pray for you every single day. When he passed away, a piece of me I kind of felt like was missing. Someone who is faithful to be praying. But I ask you as a church, will you pray for me? Will you pray for your elders? Will you pray for your church staff? Ask that God would keep us strong. Ask that God would give us wisdom. Ask that God would keep us faithful to his call and to care for you in the way that he needs us to. Because I guarantee you the enemy would love to attack us. To make it hard for us. I need your prayers. My family needs your prayers. Paul's asking for prayers. Seacoast needs your prayers. I want to ask you as a church, the, the staff and the elders are kind of taking this summer to really just pray and say, God, what does our church look like in five or ten years from now? What do you want us to be in five or ten years? And we're really praying and say, God, what will that look like? We know we're committed to bringing the life of Jesus to our community and to the ends of the earth. That's not going to change. We know that we want to take care of our children and our youth. That's not going to change. But exactly what will that look like? I want to ask you to join with us for these 60 days to pray for Seacoast. If you can pray every day, we'd love it. And pray that God would point us in the direction where he wants for us so that his name would be made known and he would receive glory and honor through our church your church. Will you pray with us this summer? I'm asking you to. So Paul says with all prayer and petition, pray in all times in the Spirit for your own life and for the lives of others. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints, for one another. With perseverance, let's keep doing it. Let's keep praying. And pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. And I'm proclaiming that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I'm not in chains, 
but I'm asking you that you pray for those who are leaders in the church. Pray for your life group that we may boldly proclaim the mysteries of Christ to a world who needs Him. Just a week ago, you know, working here and, and, and being on campus was a great time, a great thing. A, a week ago, someone walked through our campus and he was struggling with a very severe uh, drug addiction and he's struggling with some identity issues and we had an hour and a half for talk. The first thing he said to me, I didn't know who he was, but he says, hey, I, I came to this church, just walked by, I thought I'd come here, tell me something God wants me to hear. And I thought, oh, that's an easy opening there. <laughs> and we talked for an hour and a half you should have saw how his mind was blown. I said, grace of God can be given to you. You're forgiven. You don't have to earn your way back. The light bulb came on. I've never seen it like this before, of what that meant. It just lit up. Really? Wait, okay, really? I wish I could say that he's a solid follower. When we got to the point, I said, do you want to be a follower of Jesus? He said, that sounds really hard. I said, It is. It is. Let me pray for you. Will you pray for me? Would you pray for your leaders? Would you pray for each other that we may boldly proclaim the mystery of Christ and see souls like this 25-year-old who I talked to last week enter the kingdom of heaven and experience life from Jesus Christ? He went on, as Paul ends this, he he talks about... uh, some others, he says, hey, I'm going to tell you more about my circumstances. I'm sending a guy named Tychicus. He's going to encourage you. And then when he ends, in verse 23, he says, Peace to all, be to all the brothers with love and faith from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love the Lord with an incorruptible love. See, he ends this by saying, hey, we're praying for you. I ask that God bless you with peace, that God bless you in the journey of participating with him. Everything we've heard, the what's next for us is we will be a church that boldly moves forward proclaiming who he is. And I want you to catch something. I think this is really important, especially on a day when we honor these volunteers for children and youth. Notice that Paul says, for all the saints, I pray for you. I want you to notice something. The family of God needs all of you, young and old, rich and poor. He needs you. One thing I love about Seacoast is that we are truly a multi-generational church. It's not just one generation. One thing I love is that I can hang out with our senior adults and I hear stories of World War II. It's amazing. I hear about these blizzards in 1946 that snowed in their whole family for weeks. And I thought, for a week, and I thought, I don't hear those cool stories. But I love that we have the multiple generations in our church. And I want you to know, if you are of the more mature generation here, (laughs) we need you. If your kids are grown and now they're in college or off to college and out of the house, we need you. Our young families need people to look up to, to learn from, to grow from. My guess is many of you had people who were, when you had kids, you had older couples who were taking care of your kids or mentoring you and caring about you. That's one thing I love about Seacoast and I want you to know that we need you. You may not always like all the music. You may not always understand my very relevant jokes. (laughs) But this church is for you, and it would not be the same without you. It would not. 
Paul says, peace and blessings on all of you who make up the church, the family of God. All those who love the Lord with an undying love. So we need you. We need all of you, young and old. We need you to be praying for Seacoast. We need you all to continue to serve Seacoast. It takes a lot to make it happen. We need you to serve in the community too. We want to be people. If we want to see God move, we need you to participate. We need you. I hate saying this part, but we need you to keep giving. If this is your first time here, we don't talk about it all the time, but we need you to give. We have a very aggressive mission. We've increased our budget this year by 4%, and I want you to know we we have 18% of that is for outreach. It's not spent on buildings and on salaries and on light bulbs. That's a big number for a church to take that much and say we want to go out. But, so we need you to participate with that. We trust that God will provide, but he uses you and me to provide. It's the way it works. And it's summer. I know summer, it's hard. We need you to be, continue to be praying, serving, and we need you to give. Be a part of this family as we move forward. I'm way over time, but I thought it was important. And as we end here, I just want you to know that we want to be a church that in 10 years from now, we look back and say, God has used Seacoast in many ways. You know, one of the sad things about the church of Ephesians in in about 20 years later or 30 years later after Paul wrote this letter, a guy named John, the disciple John, wrote the book of Revelation. And he wrote to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. He said, I love that you've been pers- that you persevered. I love that you've been faithful to God, but one thing I have against you, and that's you've given up your first love. You know, I, I wonder what happened in that 30 years that made them give up their first love. But as a church, if we stand together, if we pray for one another, we serve one another, we stay committed to what God has called us to, and 10 years from now, let's not say, ah, oh, we gave up our first love. We became about stuff and programs and buildings. No, no, no. We, be, we stayed true about being a church who loves one another, cares about each other, and is making Jesus Christ known. That's what we want to be about. I mean, I invite the worship team to start making their way up. And I, I, I want to share with you this big card here. It says, thank you, Seacoast, because I want to encourage you too. This is from the students at Sunset High School. This is for all of you who volunteer and serve at Sunset High School. No teacher or principal, nobody told the students to make this card. It was at their graduation this year, a few students went into the principal and said, we made a card, can you give it to the people of Seacoast? (laughs) You know, in 10 years from now, I wonder how many of these cards we could have on the wall that say, thank you, That there's a church who loves Jesus so much that they look past our outward appearance and they love us. They stand together and they care about what Jesus wants to do in lives. We started this series nine months ago. (laughs) We started this series and, and we opened up with one of our videos. And we're going to end this series watching that very same video we started with. And here's what I want you to do is we're going to watch this video. It's a minute long. And then after that, we're going to end with some worship. Just ask you to stand when the video's over and join in. This video captures the heart of Ephesians. Captures the heart of what we want to be. People who live in light of God's love for us together. 
So play this as we end. People. God created every one of us. Made us who we are. But even more amazing, he chose us. Adopted us as his children. He loves us. The young, the uh, wise. And because of Jesus, there's a place for everyone. So welcome to the family. Because mercy has called you by your name. Don't be afraid to live in that grace. Ha, ha, ha.